Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU which is buonline.co.uk and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, 
blood sugar is a huge piece to manage in your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their, their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. So did you know that ADHD has actually been linked to patients with joint hypermobility, pain and dysautonomia? And given that endo is now being associated more and more with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and hypermobility spectrum disorders, as well as POTS and dysautonomia, that means that there could actually be a reasonable percentage of people with endo also living with ADHD. So today on the podcast, I'm joined by Adele Wimsett to discuss this topic in more detail. And Adele Wimsett is a women's hormone health practitioner. She specializes in cyclical awareness, education, hormone balance, and ADHD. And after being diagnosed with ADHD at 41, Adele went on to discover the many ways in which hormones and the stages of the menstrual cycle can actually affect ADHD traits. And so now this is her passion area. In today's episode, Adele shares with us her story, the ways in which hormones impact ADHD, and how we can work with our cycles to improve our experience of ADHD. In this episode, we discuss what ADHD is, why it presents differently in females and cyclical people, and what this means for diagnosis how hormones affect ADHD traits, what impact hormones have on traits during hormonal phases of a cyclical person's life, and how we can support our hormones to live an ADHD-friendly lifestyle. And I really recommend that you have a listen to this even if you don't think that you have ADHD because it presents differently in females and people with cyclical bodies, and it has been dismissed for a very, very long time. So I really encourage you to listen to this. Not only could it help you, but it might help a loved one. So please do listen. And if you think it could help anyone, share. So now let's get to Adele. For anyone who doesn't know you and your work, would you be able to introduce yourself and um, the type of people that you work with, what you do, and really what got you into this? Yeah, of course. So I'm a women's health practitioner. So I support women to balance their hormones naturally, whether it be PMT, endo, PCOS, perimenopause. However, my niche within that is supporting ADHD women to understand the impact that their hormones have on their traits because it is huge, yet it is really misunderstood and actually just not spoken about at all. And obviously, this isn't the kind of career that you envisage yourself in when you're sort of 15, 16 years old. So I had quite a journey with getting here in that my background was actually in safeguarding. I used to manage a youth offending service, so a children's probation service. Oh, we um, have a similar background. I worked at oh, Centrepoint. Really? Yeah, I worked at Centrepoint. Did you? Yeah. Oh, how interesting. Yes. Uh, I mean, safeguarding was just like every day. Everything. <laughs> yeah. And safeguarding, right? It's everything. Um, so I used to, yeah, I, I did a lot of work within that where I specialized in female offending. And one of my lead areas was SEN, so special educational mm-hmm. needs. And probably, as you can imagine, seeing a lot of young people, I mean, the whole prison population is overpopulated with children who have neurodiversity and complex needs. And at the time I was working with a mental health professional who said, have you ever considered you might have ADHD? And I kind of laughed it off. It was like, yeah, probably. But, you know, I've got this far in life. Probably, you know, what difference is a diagnosis going to make? And at the time, my understanding of ADHD was very much based on naughty little boys, you know, (laughs) this now very outdated stereotype of what ADHD means. So, and on the out of it, I was very successful, you know, I had done very well academically, I had been involved in academic research, I'd got to a really senior position in my career, I had done well, you know, outwardly. And never had what was happening inwardly acknowledged or recognized to be anything other than perhaps a bit anxious or really perfectionist or really driven, very high energy, impulsive, you know, all these things that are very clearly ADHD now. 
Um, so, so a couple of years ago, um, I've got fast forwarding um, yeah. quite significantly because I took a decision at that time to leave my career um, because my period vanished, um, which I later found out was related to stress and hence my journey into oh, women's health. Wow, yeah. Yeah, hi, that's a whole other topic. Um, so I then began a journey. I had two children, two little girls, and a couple of years ago, started to notice some traits in my eldest daughter and was advised to perhaps explore ADHD. And I thought, but she's such a good girl, you know, this typical good girl personality. However, I then embarked on a journey of researching everything I could get my hands on around ADHD in girls and women. And what I found out enraged me, (coughs) sorry, um, that so little is understood about ADHD in girls because um, we have this medical gaslighting, not medical, medical um, gender bias, whereby what we understand to be true about ADHD actually comes from what research into little boys who were a problem. Everything in medicine, right? (laughs) Mm. Absolutely. So because of the field I was in, I wanted to, I, I spoke with a psychiatrist and he said within minutes of speaking to me, yes, you have ADHD. And I actually think it was Jeez. one of the most validating experiences of my life. Um, and I wanted to pro-social model to my girls with them going through that process. And I'm so grateful I did because it has created this whole new incredible world um, for me with amazing women with ADHD. And I came to understand so much about myself because so often our ADHD traits are misunderstood as character flaws. And this is where this good girl thing comes in. As little girls, we start to mask and we hide these traits within ourselves. So that then opened for me. I was like, well, hormones affect everything. I'm a woman. So what impact are they having on my traits? And needless to say, there is hardly any research into this or evidence of it. So I then took to understanding what I knew about hormones and applying that to working with ADHD women to understand the impact. So that's the kind of journey. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's an incredible journey. It sounds like multiple mm. years in the making, really. Yes, um, absolutely. Which I feel is true for so many people working mm. in, in this world, right? We've had experiences that we go through something and we're just like, we can't allow other people to, to go exactly. through this as well. It right? becomes this calling that we can't mm. unhook out of, even if we wanted to, right? Absolutely. So what would be really, because like I said, we've never talked about this before on a podcast. And really the reason why I'm interested in this is that we now know that hypermobile EDS is associated with endometriosis um, and pelvic pain conditions, gynecological gynecological conditions, heavy menstrual bleeding, pain with sex, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, the whole thing. Yeah. I think fibroids is, yeah. is with that too. Um, and, you know, gosh, how many of those painful periods are actually endometriosis? Um, we also then have this overlap between hypermobile EDS and POTS. Um, so we're seeing this, this trifecta. I mean, it's really not just a trifecta because usually there is MCAS involved, SIBO and interstitial cystitis. But what is really interesting to me is that I have had a couple of clients with hypermobile EDS get diagnosed with ADHD recently. Mm -hmm. And that's what one of them was actually sent me all of the research. And she was like, look at this connection. I was like, wow, okay, this is making sense. So this year, I've really been focusing on kind of covering a lot of the co-conditions of endometriosis because I think it helps. It can seem overwhelming at first, but actually it gives you tools to, you know, if you're working on fatigue for POTS, it ends up helping all of different aspects of, yeah. you know, endometriosis and um, all of these other conditions. So I think actually understanding if ADHD is a problem for you in the long run can be can be helpful. Um, Absolutely. So I'd love to actually start with what is ADHD because, like you said, there's a lot of informa- like old you know information out there, mm. stereotypes, and we've never covered it. So it'd be great if you could take us through it. 
Of course. I mean, it might be easier to say what it's not. It's not bad parenting. It's not poor diet. It's not trauma. These things can affect it. However, it's a it's a, a neurological condition. Okay, it's got a very strong link with um, genetics. So if your parents have ADHD, there's an 80% chance that you will have it. However, we don't really know. <laughs> what causes it. So what we do know is that there is an imbalance with the neurotransmitters, which is where you can start to begin seeing this link with hormones mm-hmm. because so the neurotransmitters, so things like our dopamine and our serotonin, they um, have a, this relationship with our hormones. But what they do in relation to ADHD, as we currently understand it, is impact something called executive dysfunction. Now, when I was first diagnosed, I was like, executive what? Sorry, what is this you're talking about? But actually, when I understood it, it was like my whole life made sense. So if executive dysfunction covers things like activating, starting and completing tasks, um, maintaining sustained attention, particularly if we're not interested in something, having this consistency of alertness, emotional regulation, working memory, being able to remember to do things, um, and recognizing our body signals as well is really interesting. So this is affected because of an imbalance with our neurotransmitters. So when you can imagine as being a woman who has some issues with this, you can see where some of the challenges come up on a physiological level and a cultural level and therefore emotional mental health impact. So for men and women, this is the broad term. And there are three subtypes. So there's inattentive, which is most dominant in females, actually. This is one women tend to have. Then we have at the other end of the spectrum, hyper, the hyperness and impulsiveness. And then in the middle is the combined type, um, which has the inattentive and compulsiveness, impulsiveness there. So does that explain that? Yeah, so... The, so you're saying women have the inattentive one the most? They tend to. I mean, I'm combined type. That's not saying okay. that they don't. But this is one of the reasons that it can get missed because little girls can get labelled as daydreamers in classrooms or it could be, you know, oh, she's got so much potential if only she applied herself. And it's because we get inattentive and drift off if we're not listening. Our brain's full mm-hmm. of so many more interesting things. Um, and it tends to be that, that that's where more girls are likely to sit on that spectrum. But that doesn't mean they can't sit in the other categories. Right. No, that makes so much sense. So what is always being looked at at right boys, and I guess, I mean, there's so much um, prejudice going on there, but I guess the boys were making more of a scene if they yes, fall more absolutely. into the category of the yeah. impulsive, hyperactive. Um, so why is it? different in in females and, mm. and why has it gone you know I from my understanding diagnosis times is is forever for oh, women crazy. yeah I mean it's, it's diagnosis for anyone where I live locally if you go through an NHS route you're looking at two and a half years just to get to a diagnosis stage but if you think prior back to that how long does it take for this behavior particularly in girls to be picked up and this is because of these differences um, so it's because the education system, as it stands, plays a huge role in supporting diagnosis because this is where it gets picked up and recognized. And for a diagnosis to take place, it needs to, the behavior or the challenges need to have been observed by two other people. Now, if the education, which tends to be a key agency within that for children, doesn't understand how it presents in girls, they get missed because as you very rightly said, girls tend to present a problem inwardly, whereas boys tend to externalize this. And we see this a lot with offending behavior as well, like linking to my background, whereas we're seeing this play out here. So girls have to deal with the cultural expectation of what makes a good little girl. And that doesn't fit with the ADHD traits. So we learn to mask it and sit and smile in a classroom and take on this persona of trying to perfect everything. Where So they don't cause a problem to teachers. They quite often can be, oh, I, you know, they're not a problem or, you know, there's no issue here. So it gets missed. Mm-hmm. Whereas if there's a little boy in the class who's bouncing around and causing issues and being very impulsive, then that teacher wants something done about it. 
So that's where the one of the issues is. It gets it's completely misunderstood. And I mean, even a woman in my community very recently, as an adult woman, went to a doctor and was told, you can't have ADHD because you're a woman. That's <gasps> where we're at with some of it. You know, it's this Jesus is what's Christ. happening. So we forget, we think oh, everyone's on board with this and understands it. And it's not. There is so much work to do around this. Um, and that's why I think your podcast is amazing to be able to bring this awareness in that actually the way it can, pre- can present in boys and girls is very different. So I know that we've um, we, we've kind of covered this, but what kind of signs would you look for in yourself, um, especially if you were an adult woman? I mean, the demographic yeah. of this podcast, I think, is somewhere between 18 and 34. And then, okay. then there is another demographic that's lesser, which goes up to around 40-ish. So that's kind of the listener range that we're, we've got. So interestingly, um, there's there's a condition called rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which is often linked to women with ADHD. So that's having kind of like um, real, really feel, oh, someone's not texting me back. And we kind of really start overthinking, oh, God, what have we done? You know, mm. this fear, it, it's huge and it can be debilitating. This fear of getting something wrong, wanting, you know, having lots of systems in place so we don't forget things um we can find that our hyperness comes in speech and in thoughts like we literally are you know there's a lot of hyper thinking that goes on we can literally have twenty thousand tabs open up in our brain at the same time while singing a song in our head on repeat (laughs) you know quite often we find that there are either comorbidities or misdiagnosis of conditions like anxiety and depression that can never sort of be treated um, or supported, we tend to know from a young age that we're different and we can't quite put our finger on it. We can find it really difficult to stay hooked into something that we're not interested in. It's literally like climbing a mountain covered in oil. For example, housework. I mean, who finds that interesting, right? (laughs) But for a neurotypical person, you can look at a pile of iron and go, I really don't want to do that, but I'm going to get myself up and do it. For a neurodiverse person, that can feel like a physical impossibility and it taunts them. And it's like, oh my God, it's there. And I know you should do it, but I just can't get that dopamine here to charge me up to do it. So it's and something that quite often is said to ADHD people is like, you can't have ADHD, you're too well put together, or actually everybody has a bit of ADHD in them. Now, this in some ways is true. People can relate to ADHD traits. People might be listening to that and go, well, I do that and I don't have ADHD. The, ch- the difference, the way I like to describe it is everybody goes for a wee every day, right? But mm-hmm. if you're going 10 times in an hour, there's a problem. So it's about the amount and the way that it affects your life, how challenging these things are um, as to how it can show up. And I'm sure there'll be women listening to this that it's you will know that it's like, oh my goodness. Mm. And then begins this journey of trying to find information that is very indicative of ADHD in women and not boys. Then we go through this process of going down a rabbit hole, researching everything, then getting massive imposter syndrome and thinking, oh no, this can't be me. It's still in my head. And we go through this journey usually of till we reach point where we say out loud, I think I've got ADHD. And so then if someone isn't supportive to hold that, once you've got to that point, that can feel quite traumatizing as well. Because it's like, oh gosh, okay, I'm going to get back into my box with this and not talk about it. Um, but I would say, you know, please continue to reach out for help if, or support and explore it um, if this is resonating with you. Yeah, because I think once you you go down the rabbit hole a little bit and you mm. find out, you hear other stories, or you hear how it can affect your life it puts together it, it makes stuff starts falling into place right Absolutely. it makes so much and this sense is the same this is the same you know if you're thinking you've got endo mm-hmm. you know you kind of start researching because you're not getting the answers you know something's not right you know and then you get to that point where you're like okay I think this is me you know and it's mm. so important not to be gaslit at that point right yeah absolutely so I mean, I, I really resonate with this, not from the point of ADHD. I, I've had one or two people suggest it to me, but I don't think that that's my problem. Um, but I do think I'm dyspraxic. And I mm. discovered that about a year ago or a year and a half ago. Um, I can't remember how I stumbled across it. Um, but 
when I read into how it affects you in the workplace, it was just like someone had written my life out. <laughs> yes. And it was so, I mean, I haven't done the diagnosis pathway because it's a thousand pounds that you have to pay for it. Um, Mm. It's crazy. Uh, the way I think you can do it on the, NA, on the NHS, but it's two years or something. The wait yeah. time is, is insane. Um, and once you get a diagnosis, you can get like support of like a business coach and like a work coach and all of these things. So I really need that. Um, but it just made a lot of sense to me. And it also made sense as to why I became the type of student I was where mm. I was I would revise till 3 a.m so I'd work till midnight and then I'd go to that's it right I'd work till midnight on my homework and my revision and then I'd go to sleep for three hours and get back up at 3 a.m and carry on because everything took me so long yeah and no one no one questioned it everyone just no said, was like minute, oh you're a hard right. worker and yeah. it's like Mm, a 14 year old getting three hours sleep a night because she's working yeah. so hard is not a hard worker there's something yeah, there's going so, on she's exactly. struggling but that's the narrative right oh mm-hmm. aren't you a conscientious student yeah. doing all of that studying <laughs> no right and that's so messed up isn't it isn't that messed <laughs> up that like we congratulate people for putting themselves yeah. to such an unhealthy exactly yeah. but that's all the, the time the... Sorry, sorry go on. On. I was gonna say all the time I was rewarded for that yeah but that's the narrative. Then we go, oh my God, I'm getting praise. I'm doing something right. So I'm going to do more of that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And as long as, and you know, if your grades are looking good, no one questions it. Because right, exactly, looking good. I was working problem. most of the time. <laughs> exactly. And this is the thing. And this is when we're looking at approaches to supporting people who have ADHD is that where you would deal with a boy is, or a male is to say, let's manage and look at your behavior and strategies around that. Well, the behavior tends not to be as problematic for girls. It's about how she feels about herself, how she, the internal dialogue, the sound of the inner critic and how that plays out of never feeling good enough, having to always go the extra mile, having to overcompensate for what she perceives her traits to be doing. You know, we might blurt something out in the middle of a conversation and someone thinks us we're rude. So we spend ages trying to make out that we're really nice and really kind and we, mm-hmm. we aren't rude, you know. It's that overcompensation that we learn from a very, very young age about how to behave. And it's exhausting. Yeah. It's a very anxious, like anxiety inducing place. Hugely. Hugely. I mean, I run an ADHD support group on on WhatsApp. We're actually having our first community retreat next year. And this is to just like come together, no masks, full on ADHD, just being yourself, you know, just on the chat this morning, you know, one minute we're talking about ferrets, then we're talking about medication, then we're talking about elves, you know, (laughs) randomness. And it's all okay. There's no apology needed. You don't have to go, God, I can't contribute to this because I might do something that's not socially acceptable. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. I know you were mentioning you went down this, you kind of went down this rabbit hole of hormones. There wasn't much research, Mm. but what is the link with hormones? Is there a link? Like how do they affect the traits? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So this is so interesting to me. This feeds my inner nerd. Okay. So, and just blows my mind that it's not included in ADHD treatment plans for women as standard, but here we are. Mm-hmm. So, as I've alluded to, the, the neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin play a huge role with ADHD. Okay. However, we know that those neurotransmitters are made more or less sensitive by the level of ho- particular hormones in our body, yeah, yeah. particularly estrogen, right? So, mm-hmm. we know this is one of the reasons that many women feel better around ovulation because we've got a lovely estrogen pumping around. And one of the things that estrogen does is to make the neurotransmitters more sensitive, which is great if you're struggling with that. However, what then happens is though that estrogen drops off as you go into your luteal phase towards your period. And suddenly in that phase, 
we don't feel so great and all our traits can flare up. Now, this is another reason I think there's delayed diagnosis in women because we're cyclical. So for a couple of weeks, we might be okay. We've got all our strategies in place subconsciously and we're doing well. Then the lid comes off as estrogen drops off and and we feel awful. Our traits flare up. But then estrogen rises again and we go, oh, I was just having a bad week. Yeah, so we're in yeah. this constant cycle, okay? So what also happens, interestingly, is as progesterone rises in the second part of the cycle, progesterone is our keep calm and carry on hormone. However, for ADHD women, that rise in progesterone can, for some women, have this dampening effect on the estrogen. So it comes and rains on our parades, stopping this kind of effectiveness of estrogen. So we get this longer, heavier luteal phase. And actually what we know is that PMDD is 10 times more prevalent in ADHD women. We're much more likely to have postnatal depression, much more likely to have PMT, and much more likely to struggle with perimenopause in a way that neurotypical women don't. However, the research to support this is not really there. So this this is does that explain the hormone link in It absolutely does. And I'm I'm curious as to what whether you know anything about if progesterone is is low, because I see this, and this is quite typical in endometriosis as well, that um there is too much estrogen being being made Mm. because Mm. um and it's not necessary that the ovaries are making too much estrogen, but actually estrogen is there's different places it can be made, but you know. The, the lesions are pumping out their own estrogen supply. Um, there's just higher levels of circulating estrogen. And then there are lower levels of progesterone. And there are different reasons, as, as I know you know, um, that this occurs. Um, and sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes I see clients with crazy low estrogen levels mm. um, or normal progesterone. But, you know, this is quite a typical scenario. And I'm just wondering, do you know of how that could affect someone if the progesterone was low. Oh, absolutely. Because we know the role that progesterone plays in GAB with GABA with keeping us calm, right? And helping us with sleep and mood management. So if you haven't you're not producing that or estrogen is or not producing enough of it or you're producing too much estrogen, that whole dynamic on your mood balance is going to be hugely affected. So from an ADHD perspective, we already struggle with mood regulation. And unlike men, our brains have a significant dependency on this balance of hormones within us. It would make total sense that when they're out of balance for whatever reason, we're going to find it much harder to do that. But because we're never taught this or give, we're not able to offer ourselves that compassion and kindness, we develop this inner critic. So what's wrong with me? I'm a horrible human being. I can't manage these emotions. But actually, if we come back to looking at the hormone balance and the impact that it's having, we can start to be much kinder to ourselves and start to work with that. Yeah, it's it's just profound, isn't it? It really mm. is. And what kind of makes me so angry is that so much of the research hasn't been done on women because they're like, because of the cycles, right? Because they're like, yeah, oh, we, women research. have cycles. And so Shut it's variable. Down. So we don't, you yeah. know, they, they want to have a man who has this like stable yeah. testosterone pattern. Yeah. And it's like, well, you can't apply that then to people who are cyclical. Like that, that literally Absolutely. makes no sense. We are like, not small men. What We're not the small f- men. <laughs> like, it, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like these are, you know, the top brains in the world. I'm like, what the fuck have you been doing all of this time once I realized that I was so angry for so long you know when I first embarked on my journey into women's health I was like wait a minute my period's gone AWOL and I've been doing all the stuff right you know and then I realized all the stuff all the advice is actually based on what works for men no wonder my body was struggling you know to stay well effectively So once we start, and this is something I'm so passionate about, is educating women on how to support their physiology. You know, we're different to men. We need a different approach, but that's just not taken into consideration. And we get this narrative, it's in your head. Personally, and I know this is controversial, to me, SSRIs have become the modern day asylum. You know, we hand them out like smarties. It's in your head. Take that. You know, we gaslight women. Yeah, I mean, I see this so much. 
Yeah. And you just reminded me that there's, uh, who was it? Oh, I can't remember. Someone royalty, I think, or maybe not royalty, but like someone big, you know, mm. if, and, and actually just historically, I think it was in Victorian era, particularly, um, if a man found his wife like annoying or nagging or aggravating, he would get them admitted into an asylum. Yeah, absolutely. And then he would just go, you know, be with his mistress and his wife was locked up for forever. Yeah, with hysteria. Yeah. I mean, come on. I know. Look look at the word hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's there, this narrative that it is in women's head. And I'm sure you see this in your communities as well. The The number of women who come to me and they're like, I don't even want to go and talk to my doctor because they're going to tell me this isn't happening. And I know it is. Mm -hmm. You know, they say we have to move through this stuff. We have to acknowledge that there is a system that does not meet women's needs. And actually, I believe, creates trauma in women who are just trying to get answers and make themselves feel better. Yeah. Oh God, it absolutely doesn't. That's been mm. a theme that's come up a lot in yeah. these interviews that I've been doing the oh, past couple of days. Yeah. Um, but medical trauma is, is a very, very real thing. Um, and it's it, you, a lot of life is lost as a result, you know, a lot of quality of life is lost. And I'm sure that there is a mourning period when you get that ADHD diagnosis of like, Oh, God, I could have, you know, could have yeah, lived that's really differently. Interesting. It's really interesting. I personally didn't have that, but that is a very common experience um, of women who get diagnosed with ADHD to look back and go, oh my God, if this had been picked up sooner, what could my life have been? Um, so that's a very real thing. And also having to deal with, you know, I, I haven't got ADHD. ADHD is for naughty little boys. You know, we have to work through well, what is ADHD and really understand it in ourselves it can be a really huge journey to go through emotionally to acceptance and understanding it yeah absolutely and I think it's allowing yourself to have that that morning I think because yes there's that allowing that yeah I think there's like someone might want to say but you know you didn't have that diagnosis and you still had you still lived your life and there's no it's not going to be helpful to make you know have these regrets but you kind of need to to yeah have let that them flow grief right yeah absolutely and I think also just you know thinking of the hormone side of it as well mm. when we think about a hormone hierarchy yes progesterone and estrogen play a big role they also play a big role if women choose to be medicated because estrogen sensitizes ADHD medication and progesterone dampens it so we oh. can if women are medicated for ADHD I personally I'm not. But for women who are, they can find that just before their period, they feel like their meds aren't working. So there's something around this impact as well that needs to be discussed in treatment plans. But also when we think about this hormone hierarchy, it's not just our progesterone and estrogen, right? We need to be looking at insulin, cortisol, melatonin, thyroid. When we're looking at insulin, right at the beginning of this, I mentioned that we don't always read our body signals. So quite often we don't realize we're hungry until we could eat someone's arm off. Mm. You know, it's that raging, oh my God, I'm so hungry now. And actually for a lot of ADHD women, cooking can be really boring because it involves a lot of steps. And if you're not interested in cooking, fortunately I am, so I love it, but it has to be something different every single day. Otherwise I get bored. But it's about actually we have to remember to nourish ourselves. And quite often if we're hyper-focused on something, we forget to eat. So there's this insulin dysregulation that can come, which affects the energy and fatigue. And also cortisol, you know, the impact of cortisol on ADHD. I would suggest having lived in my head for 42 years, that cortisol is probably much higher in my body. You know, my HPA axis and stress response dysregulation. And actually, we know cortisol has a massive impact on all the other hormones not working effectively. So we see thyroid issues coming up in ADHD women. So it's this is really quite complex. And this is what I see anecdotally. Um, but there's no evidence again. I mean, I think that's what you have to, at this stage in time, we just have to work with what we're seeing clinically. Oh, that's exactly right. what I do. I don't care if the research is there. Science can catch up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I know what I'm working with. This is what we're dealing with. This is real life women's experiences. And what we just have to pull in, what do we know? And how do we best balance that? Because I don't need a piece of research to know what impact my hormones have on my traits. I know that. 
Yeah. And a lot of the time it's common sense. If you understand how hormones work, how hormones interact with each other, how they yeah. interact with neurotransmitters, with gut health, all of these different things, you can put the pieces together and it's not a, you know, it's exactly. not a big jump to do that. Exactly. So in terms of hormones, you know, we've looked at them from an individual perspective, but what about phases uh, mm. in women's like kind of hormonal life cycle because that changes you know does that does that change around like puberty and then perimenopause menopause or Mm. even you know if if someone's pregnant how does that change things so this is where it gets even juicier looking at adhd in women and again with boys they don't have these distinct hormonal phases in their life they have puberty and then off they trot whereas for us we have these distinct phases we go through puberty we have menarche as you said we have pregnancy um and and recovering from postnatally and all the hormone imbalance there perimenopause and postmenopause so we have these distinct hormonal phases and from an adhd perspective they are all influence. So this is how we mentioned where girls often get missed. Once they hit puberty, it's suddenly like parents can feel like they've suddenly got a different child because these hormones have surged, the lids come off and these traits are flaring up. Now this can be put down to suddenly rebellious behavior, getting in with the wrong people, you know, you name it. But actually, because we know estrogen and progesterone are increasing, we see these more intense mood swings and can really notice the traits, which is where they can start to get diagnosis. But then we go into our menstruating and fertility years, where I've mentioned that we're much more prone to things like PMS and PMDD. Um, we know that women, um, they this impact of estrogen and progesterone all the time is having an impact on them. There was actually an interesting study done in relation to PCOS, which I have a strong hunch there is a link with, with ADHD women. Um, which is the only study that exists. Um, so that's something to look out for as well if you fit okay. into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also pregnancy. Now, actually, pregnancy is really interesting for ADHD women because we see these higher levels of estrogen and many women find their traits like vanish. They find their pregnancy really oh, wow. easy. But of course, then comes the crash because we know that estrogen drops by up to a thousand times after those days after birth so this becomes a really exactly (gasps) right this really vulnerable time for ADHD women for women in general I mean personally I think PN postnatal depression would be greatly treated with hormones but Mm -hmm. again we're not there yet um whereas actually these women who are ADHD need to have a really supportive space post-birth to make sure that symptoms don't really intensify also being aware of this hormonal shift And then, of course, we transition into perimenopause where progesterone kind of drops off a cliff at times and estrogen is all over the place. So we can see these real fluctuations coming and finding it really challenging during the season. So women might find that getting HRT, if that's a path they choose, included in their treatment plans can be really supportive for managing their ADHD traits. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, we go postmenopause, where we aren't in this fluctuation. And a lot of ADHD women that I've spoken to who are postmenopause love it because they don't have this fluctuation. It's consistent, which stabilizes them. But of course, they've got much lower levels of estrogen to support their traits. So it's finding and tailoring the plan that you need for your bespoke set of circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that's why. It- guidance is important I think that might be Mm. tricky to navigate if you were trying Mm. to do that on your own and you didn't have a full understanding of these phases I would never have got my head around this if I didn't do what I do you know this Mm. is why it's so important to work with somebody I mean just understanding women's hormones can feel really challenging just understanding what's happening in your body let alone trying to link this through with managing your traits in a treatment plan, particularly if you're dealing with healthcare providers who look at you like you're an alien when mm-hmm. you even mention that your hormones are having an impact, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, it, you know, it'd be, I suggest everyone works with you, but if they can't <laughs> work with you or they're not ready to, mm. how can someone support their hormones to live an ADHD-friendly lifestyle? Mm-hmm. 
So one of the things that I teach my women to do is to track their traits against their cycles. So you start to gather this really amazing, yeah, get some amazing data about what your unique rhythms. And then once you have that, the next stage of that is to apply that data to your diary. You know, it's okay to slow down and stop at some times of your cycle, you know, especially if you know your traits are going to go through the roof and then you're going to be full of guilt and criticizing yourself because you haven't coped with something or managed something in the way that you want to. So just be really gentle with yourself. Understand the impact your hormones are having on you. And then some of the things, you know, my top tip is look at balancing your blood sugars, you know, yeah, look at how you balance one. that out, you know, and really honoring your circadian rhythm, your sleep. You know, we suck at sleep because we want to be up all night doing things or actually we're just not producing enough melatonin to help us get to sleep. So we have to really work on our sleep hygiene. So they would be some top tips that I would say if you wanted to do that to look into. Yeah, I, you know, I completely agree. I think that we are in a really great time where we're talking about health and wellness. Um, but people sort of go for the shiny, um, I don't know what the word is, the shiny penny where it's like, oh, you know, I'm going to get this 60 pound collagen and have that every morning. And it's like, (laughs) but, but, you know, we're not looking at the basics, which are the biggest needle yeah. movers um yeah, and we're all we're all guilty of it you know yeah I am I, I really I'm struggle like with my sleep <laughs> <laughs> I really struggle like, with oh, sleep um but you know yeah. like sleep blood sugar you know good nutrition yeah. those are like the yeah. key and support you know supporting the circadian rhythm with like light in the morning and like you know darkness in the evening they're very very simple things movement but they're not they're not um they're not interesting they're not they're not not sexy yeah right they're not like the latest having eggs and spinach for breakfast you can't biohack your way out of this okay it takes consistency which again for adhd is, is really challenging what you know the way we tend to operate is go give me all the advice I'm clearing the cupboards. That's it. We're changing our life. And then three days later, we're in a corner eating pizza, crying because we're completely overwhelmed with all the changes we've made at once. <laughs> so it's about making slow, gentle, sustainable changes that have a big impact on how you feel. But you need to understand how to do those. Okay. It's keep it simple. You haven't got to be rustling up the latest spirulina smoothie to manage this. Just keep it simple make it achievable for you with how you want to incorporate this into your lifestyle and Mm. I always say you know it's simple but it's not always easy we want the quick pill yeah yeah and there isn't one no and I think that that is the it's it's the waiting for things to improve you know I mean I don't Mm. know how quickly things would improve with ADHD but I always say like give it a couple of cycles you know, don't yes. give up, don't try something for one week and be like, it didn't work. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's going to take a while for like your cortisol to balance out and your insulin exactly. to, you know, come down and your all of these different things that do take time. Um, and I, I think this is so important. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, you have to put this in relation to how many years and probably decades you've been living with this without any support. And it's about saying, oh my gosh, that does not work. But what I can do is this, and I'm going to give myself the grace to implement these changes over a period of probably months, you know, realistically. But there are things that you can do that can have a really quick win, like sorting out your diet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that can be changed also slowly, right? It can be adding one portion of vegetables, yeah. uh, you know, a week, an extra portion of vegetables yes. to your daily yeah. daily intake. Eating breakfast. Like that. Yeah. Adding yeah. some fat. I I'm Eat. like, that's an easy one. <laughs> yeah. Add some extra fat. Yeah. <laughs> that's great yeah. blood sugar. Have a tablespoon of butter. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Adele, where can people find more about your work? Um, you know, do you have any resources that can support them with this journey? Yeah, so I like to hang out on Instagram. So I'm Harmonize You on Instagram. And my website is harmonizeyou.co.uk where you can download um, an introduction to 
your cycle called Know Your Flow. Um, there is a free tracker on there, although it's not specific for ADHD. But if that's something you're interested in, please reach out to me. I love chatting to women, speaking to women in this community. And if I can help, I will. They can, people, women are also welcome to join our WhatsApp group if that's something that's useful. It's a place that we laugh or we rant or we share different top tips. Um, everyone is welcome. That sounds incredible. Del, thank you so much for today's conversation. I thought it was so interesting and just like I said, an area we haven't um, covered yet. So I'm I'm excited to hear how people respond to this. Uh, please reach out to us and, and let us know if yeah. this was helpful because I'd, I'd love to hear. And um, it just goes to show you hormones rule everything. They <laughs> so- do. They really do. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.